On today's show, Shea Gilders Alexander and Chet Horner with a pair of monster games to help the OKC Thunder beat the Warriors in overtime. Are they the NBA's newest star duo? Then the Wolves are the best team in the Western Conference to start the season at a 9-3 and record. How are they off to such a strong start with the third best defense in the entire NBA? And the Pistons losing streak has hit 11 straight games. Why is Detroit struggling so much to start this season. It's all coming up right here at Locked On NBA. You are Locked On NBA, your daily NBA podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up and welcome to another Monday edition of Locked On NBA, the biggest stories with the local experts. I'm your Monday host, Jackson Gatlin, also host of Locked On Rockets right here on the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Now, today's episode is brought to you by Prize Picks, the easiest and most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Go to prizepicks.com slash locked on NBA and use code all lowercase locked on NBA for a first deposit match up to 100 Dollars And as always, thank you so much for making Locked on NBA your first listen each and every day. Free and available on all podcast platforms, including YouTube, whether it's on your way to work, on your lunch break, in the gym. Thank you so much for making Locked on NBA part of your day every single day. Joining us now is the host of Locked on Thunder, Rylan Styles. You can track down wherever you listen to your podcasts and on YouTube. Just search Locked on Thunder. Something you might want to do because Thunder with a pair of wins over the weekend, a big time win on the road against the Golden State Warriors with a pair of massive games by the Thunder's dynamic new dynamic duo, star-studded duo, whatever we're going to call this, Chet Holmgren, Shea Gildas-Alexander, uh, SGA with 40 points, seven boards, six dimes, pair of blocks, pair of steals, and then Chet Holmgren, 36 and 10, five assists, another pair of blocks, two pairs, two two. Block steals. These guys were insane in this game. Chad Holmgren hitting the three to send this one into overtime. Ryland, walk us through this game because the Warriors led by as many as 18 in this one. Thunder come back into it. Chad hits the three to force it to overtime. Walk us through what you saw in this one. This game was awesome just as like a pure basketball fan because at the beginning, it was a back and forth game. No one could grow a f- more than a five-point lead in each side. Kept answering. And then... That Warriors run happened into the second quarter. The Warriors go up by 10, and then they start out the third quarter so hot, they go up 18. And then from there, this younger team kept chipping away, and it was Jalen Williams out of Santa Clara, J-Dub, who was able to help them uh, and guide them, especially into the third quarter and the start of the fourth quarter while SGA sat. That was probably the most impressive part, is that SGA scored 40 points you know, in this game, but the comeback was it was sparked in part due to other players than SGA. And he came in at the end of the fourth quarter and cleaned it up and got you to overtime along with Chet's turnaround bucket. But like the young core around Shea and the rotation around Shea, it was able to salvage an 18-point you know, deficit to Golden State. And with 1.9 seconds, it's not over when OKC has Shea and has Chet. And it's just so tough to guard each of those guys, especially with how good that the Thunder are on side at a bound plays with Josh Sheedy as an inbounder and Mark drawing up great plays. So they got down I'm by sorry, uh, who, 10 who, who, who as an inbounder? The slob wizard Josh Kitty. There you go. That's, uh, you know, that's he's, what he's, a, he's a great inbounder. Uh, but yeah, but this Thunder team was resilient. And then in overtime, the Thunder just ran away with it. Like, like the Thunder had the ability to put Casey Wallace, 10th overall pick in 23's draft, and Lou Dort on the Splash Brothers. They couldn't get anything going. And they shut down the Warriors in overtime and won the game. So, like, that was a massive boost to them. Two wins over Golden State this last week, a win in Portland to cap off, cap off the road trip 
three straight wins for them on the road. Now returning home to play uh, Chicago. It's going to be like a really good stretch for basketball for OKC uh, in general and the first team in the West to get 10 games. Honestly, it just what has Chet Holmgren done for this team, Ryland? Because it really feels like he was like the missing ingredient for this Thunder team to get to this next level that we're seeing them play at this year. They are currently top 10 in both offensive and defensive rating, and they look they look dominant at times when they play. Chet has been as good as advertised, and what's been fascinating about Chet is each passing game, they're adding more and more to his plate. At first, he was just kind of taking what the defense gave him, was playing kind of a, a more minor role in terms of like he wasn't hunting his shots. He wasn't truly uh, being overzealous with, with taking advantage of mismatches. He was just playing his role and playing like a role player while being so talented. Then they kind of let him explore more and do more things offensively these last few games, and he's looked like a star, dropping 36 points against Golden State. And tonight, he had 16 points on six shots and did not take a single shot in the second half. Like, he was able to fill it up all in the first half and a blowout win over Portland, who had nobody playing for them tonight. But still, Chet has been excellent. And I think that what he does is he limits the disadvantages defensively because he's such a great shot blocker and he can just swallow up shots at the rim. And he maximizes the advantages offensively because there's no five in basketball that's able to guard him. Like Jared Allen was exploited on the perimeter. You, you just cannot defend him because he's such a good shooter. You have to close out hard. The problem is you close out hard, you fly by him, he dribbles in, and he has such a great playmaking ability to his size that he can find the open man because now you're playing four on five. And if you don't have an open man, he can just take the shot himself and knock it down or drive to the rim. He's been creative in getting fouls drawn. The pick and pop is so versatile because let's say that you're in with SGA, you're clearly going to gear up to stop SGA, but oh wait, if you leave Chet Holmgren alone in the pick and pop or pick and roll, he is uh, you know an over 40% three-point shooter and can shoot at the rim as well, of course, f- finishing at the rim. So Chet is the missing piece and he just makes it so dangerous because you have to pick your poison. What are you going to give up to this Thunder team? J-Dub is a great score. Shea's a great score. Chet is a versatile score. What are you going to allow them to do and what are you going to try to take away? Because We've seen over the last year, it's impossible to take away Shea. Put a double team on him, do whatever you want to do on him. You can't take him away. Like He is going to be one of the best scorers in the NBA. And now you, you don't really have the ability to shade your defense any sort of way because you have so many other options uh, to, to defend and to watch out for in that starting five for OKC. Then they throw Isaiah Joe at you, who is shooting the lights out of the gym. Then they throw Casey Wallace at you, who is an efficient bas- basketball player. The Thunder are sustainably good in the in the regular season. Now, what does that mean come postseason? That's way too far in the future. But this team is going to be a top six seed in the West. This team is going to be good enough to shock a lot of people. The one maybe, you know, downside to the start of this Thunder season has been kind of Josh Giddy, right? Off to a really slow start this season. Numbers, a bit of regression kind of across the board. What are you seeing from Josh Giddy? Is there anything, is it is it the incorporation of Chet as more of a focal point in the offense? Some of the, some of the you know, the load that he shoulders that's taken away some of the reps from Giddy. What is, why did he start this season off so slow? Why has he started so slow, I guess? Yeah, it's interesting because he said that like part of the reason why he, sh- he started out so slow is because he changed his identity. He said that, and this is a direct quote from him, for some reason I was con- I was just hell-bent on scoring and lost who I was as a player. And so he he was trying to prove to people, hey, I can score. Hey, I can help fill it up. When in reality, 
the way he helps score by himself is by getting others involved because then that takes the pressure off of him and allows him to get easy buckets. And he did that against San Antonio for his best game of the season so far. He did it against San Antonio where he was looking to pass more than he was looking to score. And it opened up ways for him to score a ton because now you're gearing up to stop other players. So he has to find a way to get back to that. Uh, and, and you can see the frustration mounting too. I, I don't like to play into like a overly reading body language, but like you can see where, Whenever he has a good drive and it ends in a miss at the rim, you can see how frustrated he is and the emotions that he shows and the, the need to go right back to it, even if it's that not the right play for that next possession. He wants to go right back to it to the rim. To where I think that taking a step backward, and especially with the Thunder having two straight off days, this is only the second time this year that they've had two straight off days, taking a step backwards and getting back to the root of like what made Josh Giddy good can change things for himself moving forward. But this has been a very slow start from him. And it's really just been, I think, him trying too hard to show he's made progress to show he's been become a better scorer because that's the big knock on him is his defense and his scoring ability i think he's trying too hard to get it all back and get that reputation all back in one fell swoop our sga and chet holmgren the nba's newest star studded duo growing up right before our very eyes can josh giddy return to form sooner rather than later you'll have us covered for all that and so much more over at locked on thunder rylan thanks for stopping my locked on nba with me thanks for having me Coming up, the Wolves are the best in the West with a 9-3 and record, including the NBA's third best defense. Why are things working so well between the front court pairing of Rudy Gobert and Carl Anthony Towns this season compared to a last season? And is this success sustainable for the Wolves moving forward? We're going to get there in just one moment. First, today's episode is brought to you by Prize Picks. PrizePix is the largest daily fantasy sports platform in North America. They're the easiest and most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports because it's just you against the numbers. Instead of battling thousands of other players, including pros and sharks, all you do is pick more than or less than on two to six players and their stat projections and watch the winnings roll in. Prize picks is so simple to play. You can make your picks in less than a minute. It's so easy. They've got quick withdrawals, easy gameplay, and an enormous selection of players and different stat types, which is what makes Prize picks the number one DFS app on the market. And with basketball season now here and in full swing, you can do combo projections across football and basketball with their specials league, a league created specifically for combo projections that includes two or more players from different sports or leagues. For example, you can do LeBron James plus Travis Kelsey at a 10.5 combo of three-pointers made plus reception. So if you've been thinking about checking out daily fantasy sports about getting into DFS, you've got to give PrizePix a chance. Go to prizepix.com slash LockedOnNBA and use code LockedOnNBA, all lowercase, for a first deposit match up to $100. It's a free 100 bucks. Just go to prizepix.com slash LockedOnNBA and again, use promo code lowercase, all LockedOnNBA, for a first deposit match up to $100. PrizePix is daily fantasy sports made easy. And continuing on here at Locked On NBA a Monday. Some exciting news as Locked On has launched the first ever national sports 24-7 streaming channel on YouTube. Locked On Sports Today is here for you 24-7, covering the top sports stories of the day with the local experts of Locked On, plus our national shows covering every league. Go to Locked On Sports Today on YouTube and subscribe for the first ever national sports 24-7 streaming channel. Joining us now is the host of Locked on Wolves, Ben Beacon, who you can track down wherever you listen to your podcasts and on YouTube. Just search Locked on Wolves. And Ben, the Wolves currently sitting atop the Western Conference, the best in the West to start this season, a 9-3 and record. Let's start with how the Wolves have been able to get off to such a hot start this NBA season. 
Yeah, it seems to be the perfect combination of of everything Wolves fans have been hoping for the last couple of seasons, at least, right? So last year, Carl Anthony Towns only plays in 29 regular season games, uh, and he doesn't get a chance to mesh with Rudy Gobert. That pairing is working out great. Anthony Edwards is taking what uh, seems to be in the midst of taking what everyone's hoping is is a major leap from you know, last year was his first all-star season. Could this be his first all-NBA season? Could he go from star to superstar? And uh, right now, both Carl Anthony Towns and Anthony Edwards are playing like superstars. Rudy Gobert looks a lot more like the Utah Jazz version of Rudy Gobert than what the Wolves had last year in his first season in Minnesota. And uh, it's just a deeper roster than what they had for all of last year. So it's kind of, and it's actually been a really tough schedule too. Like there's, there's, you know, if you look at who they've beaten, they've beaten Boston, they've beaten Denver, they've beaten Miami, uh, they've beaten New Orleans twice. Um, you know, they've had some good fortune with guys missing games here and there for opponents. But for the most part, this has been a difficult schedule um, and a, a, you know, knock on wood, healthy Wolves team so far. And they've gelled extremely well. And you mentioned kind of the 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 double big towering duo of of Gobert and Cat not really getting a chance for that, those two guys to mesh last season. This season, though, so far, third best defense in the NBA right now with those two guys in the middle. How have they been been able to kind of met, how have those guys found success? I guess playing with one another on the court, especially defensively. Yeah, defensively, when they're both on the court court together, typically the Wolves are putting Rudy Gobert on whoever the lower lowest usage player is on the opponent uh, opponent's offense. And they're essentially letting him roam the, the baseline and, and play free safety, if you will, against Golden State. It worked extremely well, putting him on Draymond Green in the first game. Of course, second game, Draymond got ejected <laughs> a couple of minutes in. Um, but that's essentially been the role. And Carl Anthony Towns has then chased the next least uh, used player on the opposing offense and has done a really good job. I know much has been said, and rightfully so, about his defensive issues in the past. And also, can he stay with smaller fours? Can he stay with quicker fours? So far this year, the answer has been a resounding yes. He's been up to the task. He's fighting through screens. He's chasing guys all around the court um, and just showing that he's really bought into that role. Um, and then with Nas Reed coming off the bench, that allows Cat to slide to the five when Nas is in the game and still guard some true fives, give him a little bit of a break and make Nas chase other opponents around the perimeter. So that's usually been the best um, the the best defense for the Wolves. Occasionally, they'll they'll switch up their pick and roll coverages. Rudy, of course, is really good at dropping and pick and roll, but they'll occasionally play at the level of the screener with with Carl Anthony Towns. And so just kind of mixing up. They've also done a lot of zone with Rudy off the floor, which is a more recent development. So um, yeah, in general, it's been really good. Uh, up until the last two games, it was the league's best defense by far. They've had a couple of rough games, a back-to-back in Phoenix, and then gave up a ton of points in a win to uh, uh, over the Pelicans on Saturday. But for the most part, yeah, the defense has been incredible, and everyone's really done their part. Where does this? I mean, is it is it like a renewed sense of buy-in that they have? Because it's not like they, you know, they didn't do a whole drastic. Oh, we're going to change the head coach right. and do this and the other thing. Like, where did this new renewed sense of buy-in come from defensively? I think it's a combination of well, first of all, uh, last season that started with D'Angelo Russell at point guard, and it started with mm. no Nikhil Alexander Walker at the trade deadline. The Wolves swapped out D'Lo for Mike Conley, who, of course, even though he's thirty-seven or whatever he is now, a little bit long in the tooth, he's still a much better defender on ball and off ball than D'Angelo Russell. There's no question about that. And then Nikhil Alexander-Walker has defended, as I think, better with the Wolves than he had in his previous stops in the league, and they got him at the deadline last year, too. So the roster is a little bit deeper. There isn't really a weak link in the starting lineup defensively. I mean, you could say it's Towns, but everybody else is average or better defensively. You look at Mike Conley, obviously Jaden McDaniels is incredible defensively. Anthony Edwards is very good on the ball and Rudy Gobert is a, a multi-time defensive player of the year award winner. So it's a little bit of a deeper roster and it's also, yeah, I think the buy-in and also Rudy Gobert just being in better shape last year. He was coming off a Eurobasket 
I know we played FIBA this year, but apparently last year he was just a little bit worn down. Carlton Towns was sick at the beginning of the year, lost 20 pounds right before the season. They didn't get a chance to, to figure it out defensively. And you still had D'Lo at the point of attack. And now this year, McDaniels has a year more of experience. Anthony Edwards has a year more of experience and has really bought into this whole like, I'm going to be a, a two-way player. I'm going to be a well-rounded player. You have a healthy Rudy, a healthy cat. Um, and, and also, I think another year of Chris Finch. I mean, last year was actually his first full season. So this is year two of Chris Finch. Um, and I think that having that continuity certainly helps too. So I think it's a combination of making the roster a little bit deeper, getting guys a little bit more experienced, getting guys a little healthier. And it's all, at, at the moment at least, kind of coming together at the right time. And uh, let's shift gears here to the offensive side of things because Anthony Edwards, you talked about him kind of taking what is hopefully that superstar leap this year, but then also kind of balancing, right, the offensive production between what he's able to do, what Carl Anthony Towns is able to provide. We saw just the other night Carl Anthony Towns hitting the, the game winner. Uh, against the Pels with no Anthony or no Anthony Edwards on the court anymore in that game, kind of walk us through how those two have been kind of sharing the offensive load and how it's how they've kind of I guess taken turns. You know, whenever one has it going and the other one maybe doesn't. Yeah, for the most part, the offense is still running through Anthony Edwards, but in the last week or so, we've seen that shift. Cat had a really pedestrian game to put it nicely against the Boston Celtics a couple of weeks ago. Since that point, he's basically averaging 25 and 10 with, you know, four, five, six assists per game. And the shooting efficiency has gone way, way up. He was shooting well below career averages before that Boston game a couple of weeks ago. And since then, the Wolves are starting to shift a little bit more of their offense towards Cat. They did in Golden State when Ant had an off shooting night and Cat got hot and they just started running every a lot of what Chris Finch does is he likes to describe his bumpers for the offense. He doesn't call a lot of set plays, at least not as many as a lot of coaches do. And, you know, Wolves fans know Ryan Saunders used to all the time. Tibbs did all the time. And Chris Finch is more like, hey, let's put up some bumpers. Let's let mostly Ant go to work. Well, in the last week, week and a half, he's been calling a lot more set plays that run through Carl Anthony Towns. And um, it, it has coincided with, I, I, you know, I think Cat started playing better first, kind of in that ancillary role. And then now it's like, okay, he's got it going. Let's, you know, he's just a more efficient scorer in general than Anthony Edwards. And teams are can't double off of Ant. Jaden McDaniel shot 40% from three last year. Mike Conley's a 40% three-point shooter. You're not doubling off those guys. And um, the other thing is Cat is really good at, at, actually has better passing chemistry with Rudy Gobert than we've seen from Anthony Edwards. It's improved from Ant, um, but Cat more, Ant, or excuse me, Cat gets more assists to Rudy than Ant actually does at this point. And so um, more and more of the offense is starting to run through Cat. The reason he ended up getting that final play against the Pelicans, yes, he was the best player on the floor for the Wolves. Ant had just fouled out. So that was a big reason for it. But I also tend to think, I said this on the show, actually, uh, today's show at Lockdown Wolves, is uh, I think that play goes to Cat even if it's on the floor because Cat just had it going. He was 10 of 11 from the floor in that game, but made both of his three-point attempts, um, is getting to the line at a high clip. So it's it's been kind of this perfect, like, as long as both guys are happy and playing well, um, on any given night, you're going to emphasize one guy more than the other, and that's okay. Nobody seemed to have a problem with that so far. I think they could. They both understand if this team wins, they're both going to be all stars. They're both going to be all NBA, um, and so far, so good. What about this strong start to the season makes you think that this this success is sustainable for this Wolves team? Yeah, I, I think I mentioned it right off the top. I mean, they had a tough schedule. Like they've beaten good teams, and I think that that feels a little better than like if they'd been beating up on on you know the Pistons and the Hornets. And, and, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I think that's part of it. Um, the other thing is nothing really jumps off the page is like, this feels like an outlier, right? If anything, they have things that are going to, that are going to improve like cats, three point shooting. Um, it would be maybe first and foremost there. Um, 
But like, I guess maybe the defense in general, the first eight, nine games was just so incredibly good. But you figure like that's sustainable because you have Rudy Gobert, you have Jaden McDaniels, you have Anthony Edwards, who's proven to be a good on ball defender. So I, I don't know that there's anything where you're like, oh, small sample size. Everything kind of feels like the best case scenario of what we what everybody wanted it to be, what Tim Connolly thought he was putting together. And the other thing is Ant's only going to get better. Carl Anthony Towns is only going to, you know, he missed a chunk of last year. He's just now entering his prime. Um, what we've seen from him for the last week and a half is what I think we'll see from him moving forward. So this season, at least, and like next offseason and what happens when, you know, Cats Supermax kicks in, that's another question. But for the next, you know, 70-ish games and into the playoffs, hopefully, this is this feels very sustainable. And they've had some rest advantage games and they'll have some more back-to-backs as the season goes on. But in general... This has been a tough schedule. They've been um, there's no crazy outlier performances to this point, really. Um, and, and it feels like their calling card is going to be a top three or four defense and hopefully a middle of the pack offense. That's the other thing is the offense is hovering around 20th in efficiency. So I don't think it's going to get worse. I mean, it was 23rd last year. Like it, it probably is only going to get better. And the defense is mostly sustainable, too. So I think we're looking at legitimately one of the best three or four teams in the Western Conference, if not a top two team in the West when it's all said and done. Can the Wolves continue their defensive dominance? Will they finish the season as a top four seed in the West, a brutal Western Conference this season, I might add. You'll have us covered for all that and so much more over at Locked On Wolves. Ben, thanks for stopping by Locked On NBA with me. Thank you for having me. Coming up, the Detroit Pistons losing streak hits 11 straight games, and Cade Cunningham looks frustrated. What exactly is going so wrong for the Detroit Pistons to start this season? We're going to get there in just one moment. First, today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel. Get on the action this NFL season with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook, because right now new customers can get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 Moneyline bet. That's $150 if your team wins, and all you have to do is wager $5. It's that easy. It's so incredibly simple. If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there is no better time to get in on the action. The app is so easy to use, and there's a wide range of betting options, including spreads, player props, over-unders, and so much more. Right now, we can take a look at the outright betting favorites for Super Bowl 58. Got the Kansas City Chiefs, Taylor Swift's team at plus 420. The 49ers at plus 470. The Eagles at plus 500. The Dolphins at plus 900. And rounding out the top six odds favorites, got the Baltimore Ravens at plus 950. And the Dallas Cowboys, America's team at plus 1100. So visit FanDuel.com slash locked on and kick off this NFL season in a strong way. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. And final segment here at Locked On NBA Monday. Be sure to go check out our brand new Locked On National Sports 24-7 streaming channel on YouTube. Locked On Sports Today is here for you 24-7, covering the top sports stories of the day with the local experts of Locked On, plus our national shows covering every single league. Go to Locked On Sports Today on YouTube and subscribe for the first ever National Sports 24-7 streaming channel. Joining us now is the host of Locked On Pistons, Kuka Hill. You can track down wherever you listen to your podcast and on YouTube. Just search Locked On Pistons. And Koo, the Detroit Pistons riding an 11-game losing streak, bottom five offensively. Not much better than that defensively, unfortunately. Walk us through kind of what, what exactly, give us the 10,000-foot bird's-eye view right now. What's going wrong in Detroit? What's going spectacularly wrong in Detroit right now? Uh, like... 
the easy answer is just everything. Like everything that possibly could have went wrong is possibly going wrong. They've been hit by the injury bug. Um, Cade is is not being. You're not seeing this big step from Cade that people want to see, and a lot of it has to do with the pieces surrounding him. Um, there was the the moves that were made this past off season. They weren't many at all. This made this past offseason, but the few that were made haven't even either one hasn't been seen or two haven't made been made an impact. Um, have, has made an impact on the team so far. Um, and they've had a tough schedule. Um, they've had a lot of back to backs. They played five games in seven nights. Um, they've you know it's been tough. So it just about everything and every which way it is as went wrong for the Pistons. So you, you said there a moment ago that Cade hasn't taken the step forward. I want to start with him. First, is it fair to have expected Cade to take this massive step forward in his career, which is essentially his second NBA season? And, you know, people maybe forget that he missed basically the entirety of last year. And then you also mentioned the parts surrounding him not fitting. So do you do you put the blame on Cade for not taking that step forward, or is it more about the pieces around him then? Cade has not been perfect. Cade Cade has areas he has to improve in, like his turnover. Some of his turnovers are just lackadaisical. He needs to do better with taking care of the basketball. Um, but it, it, the Pistons are at a point where it's like 90%, I would say, not his fault. Like, close to 90%. He's The situation that Cade Cunningham's in, I would say it's probably the one of the worst situations I've seen a young, budding franchise player has ever been in I, like it's it's he's on the let's just quick example hit one of his starting wings is kevin knox who was signed to the team nine days ago who was not in the nba 10 days ago that's that's who they're starting at the wing because he's the only other six seven and above guy that relative or theoretically can shoot so they have to go out with kevin knox they they are without jalen duran and because they didn't address the backup center position, they are now moving Isaiah Stewart up to the five in the starting lineup and just playing him at the five because they don't trust James Wiseman to play many minutes. And if you play Marvin Bagley a ton of minutes, a lot of his weaknesses start to show. Whereas when he's playing small minutes, you can just take advantage of the fact, hey, come out here and score as much as you can, 10 to 15 minutes. We don't need you to do great on the rebound. We don't need you to come out here and make a defensive difference, anything, etc. Just do what you're great at. When you're playing 30 minutes, it's a different story. So they're moving Stu up to the starting five because of this. They're starting Kevin Knox, who wasn't on the team 10 days ago. Arsar Thompson, who has been, a, would say, a great rookie, especially defensively. But with all the other stuff going on offensively, the fact that he can't shoot offensively then is just being even more so just highlighted. Um, and then his other backcourt mate, Jane Ivey, started today. He Everyone's been asking for Jane Ivey to start, and he had a horrific game. And you saw some of the reasons why Monty has been so low on him defensively with some of his coverages. Um, and then before Jane Ivey, you're starting Killian Hayes, who I believe in. But whether you believe in Killian Hayes or not, he's not a respected shooter. So that's another guy the teams just don't guard. So it's just Cade, Cade has nobody currently on this team that can help him at all offensively. And it's, it's, it's pretty it's sad to see, to be honest. Honestly, it sounds like Cade better be writing a bunch of get well soon yards to Boyan Bogdanovich because they need some shooting back out there on the floor uh, ex expeditiously. I I'm glad you brought up the the whole 
Jade Nivy, Killian Hayes thing because you know since Monty taking the reins and, and running the show now, that's been kind of one of the more perplexing, I guess, decisions so far is is his confidence, his faith levels in. Killian Hayes, walk us through that decision-making process. Is it, it you said you were defending it from the the Killian Hayes perspective? You believe in Killian Hayes? Is it the right move right now, or is it has the losing streak kind of changed something in you where you're like, man, eh, maybe they do need something different? So I've I've believed in Killian Hayes before the season. I wasn't asking for him to start. Him starting um, this season caught I feel like everyone off the guard. I don't think anyone was projecting Killian Hayes to start for the Pistons. <laughs> I don't think that was something that we even the biggest Killian Hayes fan was expecting to see happen. Um, but it boils down to the fact that the Pistons, Troy Weaver and Monty Williams have spoke about defense all offseason. And they spoke about defense all preseason, all training camp. And they're, they were backing it up with that. Jay and Ivy's not good defensively. So they've been starring Killian Hayes. And because Killian Hayes is good defensively. And because Killian Hayes had a really good preseason, he had a really good offseason from everything I've heard. Um, and they wanted to give him a chance to show while Monte Morris is out, hey, can you be our backup point guard? Are you someone that we can invest in long-term to be a decent player for us? Um, and it kind of, it's tough because Killian Hayes hasn't been bad for the Pistons. Like So like over the last 11 games, the first two games of the year, really bad. Over the last 11 games, he's shooting 42% from the field, 36% from deep, 10.5 points, 4.8 assists to less than half a turnover a game. So it's, it's not that he's been bad. He's just not what the Pistons need at the off-guard position. They need someone who can take some pressure off of Cade, who can provide some scoring, some spacing next to him because no one else can. And theoretically, that's what Jane Ivey's supposed to be. Um, so that's why everyone's been wanting to see Ivy because Ivy is that guy that's supposed to help Cade take some of that pressure off. But then you see a game like today, you finally get the Jane Ivy and Cade Cunningham experience, and you lose by damn near 40. You were down by 40 at one point. And you're seeing Ivy repeatedly make these defensive mistakes over and over and over again. And then in games like tonight where he's not having it offensively, he was 0 of 5 from deep, 3 of 10 from the floor. Now it's just like, okay, you're really hurting us defensively, which is what Monty Williams, every time he makes a defensive mistake, I just watch Monty Williams' face. He's he's just, he can't take it over there. And then offensively, you're not helping tonight, that is. I, Ivy's, I think he's a really good prospect. I like Ivy. But tonight, like, you're not playing well offensively. You're also hurting defensively. So now it's just like, okay, where else do you go? And it, there's nowhere else to go. You don't got nowhere else to go. So I think long-term they need to start Ivy uh, because th that's who needs to help Kate theoretically. But, like, starting Ivy isn't saving all this. Start, starting Ivy isn't fixing everything. He's not you – know, Pistons fans don't really want to hear this, but he's not good enough right now to fix everything. He's not – maybe in three, four years he will be, but right now he's not good enough to fix these issues. He can help somewhat, you'd hope, but he's not fixing all of this. Kind of seems like a short-term fix, like starting Hayes over Ivy for what, you know, it seems to be a long-term problem where you need to be able to find somebody to be Cade Cunningham's running mate, his you know, the, the guy to take the pressure off him, like you're saying there offensively couple bright spots though for the Pistons at least maybe round this thing out with some positivity coup a mint or not a Ben Thompson I apologize Freudian flip here that's the guy that I get to cover in Houston his brother <laughs> though Asar Thompson has been playing out of his mind as a rookie and even Marcus uh, Sasser has had some strong games for the Pistons so far a couple you know maybe some bright spots here in the darkness for the Pistons I'd say Asar Thompson has been who I was very high on Asar Thompson heading into the draft there I were a lot of people debating in, Asar over Amin, possibly, in the draft. 
So I, I, I won't I won't go that far because I still very much I was very high on Ahmed <laughs> heading into the draft. I was very high on him. I thought he could be like the second best prospect in this class. So I loved Ahmed. I loved his brother, but I also loved Asar. And that's who I wanted the Pistons to draft, and they did. So I'm very happy with Asar. But he's been way better than I think anybody who like even his biggest fan could have expected. He's I, I've said it before. I think it's arguable that he's already a top 10 defender in the NBA. It's crazy how good defensively he is. He's a special, special defensive athlete um he's a wing averaging 10.3 rebounds a game 1.8 blocks 1.2 steals like these these are like prime Andre Karolinko numbers like like this is like it's crazy what he's doing so I think he's been a bright spot I think you're starting to see him offensively try to find spots where he can impact the game without being able to shoot I think you're starting to see that the problem again is just like and Asar is so good, and, and he's going to be a cornerstone for the team. So I'm not saying that you bench him or something at all. You keep him the sound, you play him as many minutes as possible. It's just that the problem is everyone surrounding Cade and Asar. When you already have one player like Asar who defenders are just not going to guard to the three-point line, you then can't have another and another and another. So I, I think everyone's happy with Asar. Everyone recognizes how great he can be long-term, how great he I, – I think he's going to be long-term. But I think some frustrations are starting to come out in the Pistons community right now, offensively. Not even obviously he needs to get better at shooting, but it's being exacerbated because of everyone that's around him. All the players around him is really highlight. Oh, sorry, really can't shoot. Because if everyone was shooting around him, it'd be like, oh well, you know, he's doing all this other stuff for us. You know, who cares? He's cutting. He's all of this, whatever. But when he's not shooting. They're not respecting Stu. They're not respecting Killian. They're not respecting, you know, all these guys. Now it's like, dude, can K get some spacing? And it's kind of like turning on everybody. So, yeah, I think Asar has been great. But even within that, as you see, it's not, you know, all sunshine and rainbows over here. <laughs> when will the Pistons be able to snap this losing streak? Can Jaden Ivey emerge as the guy to help Cade Cunningham, especially in that starting lineup? You'll have us covered for all of that and more over at Locked On Pistons. Koo, thanks for stopping by Locked On NBA with me. Appreciate you. That's going to do it for another Monday edition of Locked On NBA. As always, thank you so much for checking out the show. If you haven't done so yet, please consider subscribing wherever you listen to your podcasts or on YouTube. Just search Locked On NBA. Be sure to like, comment, and subscribe. But as always, thank you so much for watching. Thank you so much for listening. And we look forward to having you back right here at Locked On NBA, the biggest stories with the local experts.